I love that. That's one of my favorite uh, just images from the Old Testament and just the shadow pointing to Jesus is that the idea of the rainbow there pointed up instead of down um, at, uh, at Jesus. Um, one thing that I was just thinking of as we were singing this morning, as um, I, over the past month or two, I have, I've really missed corporate singing. And I don't know if you feel the same. If not, I encourage you to think about that the next few weeks that you're coming. And um, of course, I've been listening to a lot of worship music in the last couple of months. I'm sure maybe some, most of you have as well. And there, it's, it's, it's fine, right? It's nice being able to sing to yourself and, and kind of lose yourself in that way. But there's just, there's just something about coming and hearing other brothers and sisters sing the same song and the encouragement and affirmation that we get from that. And so I encourage you over the next couple of weeks, while this is still fresh and we're kind of coming back into corporate gatherings, just encourage you to, to think about the difference when you're singing a song with other brothers and sisters around, singing the same truths, the same songs, um, that there's just something special and different and encouraging about that. Um, before we jump into the word here, I just want to, to, um, to point out and, and say that we have a, a couple of special guests with us. This is uh, Josh and Elijah Curry. Josh Curry is uh, lead pastor of Frontline Church, and he's joining us this morning. And I want to point him out because uh, just because Frontline has been such a, um, a, a dear friend and partner of the gospel to us throughout the years, really for 10 years. And uh, we wouldn't be where we were at without just the financial help, the pastoral help, the um, equipping help that Frontline has given us. And so as I pray for our time in the Word, I just want to pray for, for Frontline and pray for the leadership there. Um, we, as churches during this time, we all have really difficult decisions to make, and none of us have ever done this before, what we're trying to do, uh, come back into um, gathering in the middle of this pandemic, quarantine, all of that. And so I just want to... Um, uh, point uh, yeah, Josh and Elijah Curry out, um, and uh, yeah, if you, if you get a chance afterwards, go up and tell them thank you, and um, tell them that uh, you're glad they're here. But let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into our psalm this morning. Father, I thank you for this time, and uh, like I said last week, this just feels really good. There's some, there's some awkwardness to this, and we're really far apart in here, some of us, and that feels awkward, but it is just so good to be in the same room as other brothers and sisters, to be able to get to pray together and read the scripture together and sing together. Um, There's just an encouragement that we all get, um, and really that comes through the Spirit, being united in one body. And um, a great example of that is from church to church, and I'm just so thankful and appreciative of Frontline Church and all that they've meant to us, not just as a sister church in Acts 29, but even more than that is really a, um, a really good friend church that, um, that has, has supported us and helped us uh, throughout the years and is always an encouragement to us. And I just pray for Josh and the rest of the leadership there um, as like we are still navigating uh, uh, difficult decisions and, and all of those types of things. And so I just pray for them. I pray for the people of Frontline, and uh, I pray the same thing that we pray for them, that we would remain unified and focused on your son and the mission that you've given us um, as a church. And we, we pray for our time now as we open uh, this psalm. I pray that by reading it and thinking about it, and um, I pray that your spirit would change our minds, it would change our hearts, it would stir our affections, and it would change the way we live when we leave this place. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 
So we're jumping back into our series, uh, going through the Psalms that we have been really for the last couple of months. We took a little break last week. Now we're back in it. And we're going to go to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 is uh, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. I think um, there's a reason that this is first in the Psalms. I think this gives us a little bit of a um, kind of an umbrella for the rest of the Psalms. Kind of you, you can see the rest of the Psalms through the lens of Psalm 1. So I'm going to jump in here and we're going to just go uh, verse, by ber- by, verse by verse through this chapter in Psalms. First thing the psalmist says is, blessed is the man. And we should stop there, and we should pause and really think about that. Here's what this idea of blessed means, right? It means this, this joy, this happiness, this contentment that is really supernaturally given to us by God. We are the receivers of blessing from God. And yes, it does include kind of the typical hashtag blessed that we hear so much in our culture. Hey, life is good, life is great, hashtag blessed. And circumstantial blessing is included in this, but this, what this really means is something far beyond our circumstances. It's no matter what the circumstances, no matter where I find myself in life, the psalmist says, blessed is the man. Right? This is this, this happiness that is bestowed upon people directly from God. Now, in our day and age, uh, we have, I think, some different ways we, we, we define happiness and define joy. And my belief is that as human beings, we're all pleasure chasers. We're, we're all seekers of joy and happiness. And if you ask the why question enough and you drill down deep enough of any of our actions, anything we do, at the end of that, you'll find, well, I did that because I thought it would make me happy. Or I did this for a, a temporary pleasure or joy. That is the way we are hardwired as human beings. And this idea of blessing in the scriptures is not freedom to discover your true self or freedom to, 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 to do whatever you want. That is not the blessing that the, the scriptures speak of. Blessing is not creating a persona or identity from your, for yourself because this is just exhausting. This, if, you, if you do it that way, your, your identity rises and falls upon your performance. It's like a treadmill. You get on that treadmill and you're going nowhere because you're just trying to keep up this identity that you're trying to create for yourself instead of receiving the identity that God gives us in Jesus. And because we're seekers of pleasure, because we're chasers of joy, we're going to be slaves to something in this life. Whatever we are chasing, whatever we're finding our joy in is going to take our time, our energy, our money, we're going to direct our resources there, and we become slaves to that thing. Now, the scriptures talk about Jesus being a master. He is a master, and we are bond servants to him. The scriptures refer to that, but Jesus is the only master that will truly satisfy. He's a good master that has our best interests in mind. He's a master that wants our ultimate good, and no other masters in the world are like that. They want you to serve them rather than um, them, them serving you. Tim Keller says this. He says, Christianity gives you an identity that you receive and not achieve. That you receive and not achieve. And this psalm is very straightforward in its, in its structure and direction. The first two, service, the first two verses give um, human beings really two paths or ways to live. Verses 3 and 4 give us imagery of what these two paths or ways look like. The verses 5 and 6 show us where these paths will end. Because they do end different places, but they do end. 
And the psalmist, what he's doing here, he's trying to put a choice before us, two choices before us, and to make that decision on which path we will choose to walk in. And here's the first choice, okay? So he says, blessed is the man, and this is what we shouldn't do, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You have three pairs of words there. And when we see words like wicked and sinful and scoffer, don't read over those and exempt yourself from those categories, right? This isn't just talking about really, really bad people morally. We're all wicked when it comes to, in comparison to, the holiness of God. We all rebel. We're all sinful. We're all playing on the same field. We're all in that kind of category together. And we rebel against the ways of a good, loving, and holy God in, in, uh, in uh, overt ways, right? We do that, and maybe some of us, when we think of wickedness or sinfulness, we tend to think maybe those, those obvious ways that humans can do that. Uh, but there are also more subtle ways that we can do that as well, that maybe we are not as quick to think about, that we're all guilty of. Maybe like holding the same values as the world holds. Maybe seeing money, possession, status, and successes the same way the world does. Um, maybe there's a whole industry called product marketing that spends a ton of money and has some of the smartest people working in it whose whole goal is to trying to get you to buy a product that will give you a life that is promising. Those promises will end um, in unfulfillment eventually. Maybe short term, but long term you will find unfulfillment in those. So the psalmist, I think, mentions this path because we're all prone to taking this path. He wouldn't have needed to mention this way if we, there weren't some temptation for all of us to go down this path. And with these three, with the sin, the wickedness, and the scoffer, you have these three verbs with those. Walk, stand, sits. We notice in those three verbs, it's a, progress, it's a progressing towards a stronger uh, relationship among those. If you're walking with someone, you're moving, you may or may not be talking, you may or not be talking about something as deep in that moment, but then when you stand with somebody, typically you're, you're, how you relate to them um, goes a little bit deeper. You're standing with them, you're associating a little bit more with them. And then you have sitting. When you sit with someone, now you're in the company of them. You're kind of on their team. You're with them. Maybe you, you have some of the same similarity as them now. And so don't overlook these three verbs that he gives us. He's doing this intentionally. These things get stronger as they progress. Now, kids, kids in the room, um, I want you to keep in mind that, and maybe your parents have told you this, that the people you spend time around will influence you. They will form you. They will shape you. So built into this, I think, is uh, the idea of choosing your friends wisely being smart about who you spend your time around. Now, the psalmist is not saying to not spend time around people who don't love Jesus. That's not what he's saying. Remember, Jesus was ridiculed. Part of his identity that people gave him was he spends too much time around sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and the morally bankrupt of that day and age. So that's not what this psalm is saying. But I think what it is saying is that certain people do rub off on you. Be smart about who you spend your time with. Be intentional about those things. The things you watch, the things you think about, um, who, what company you keep will form you. It forms you over time. That's the first road. The second road, verse 2. He says, but, so this is a comparison, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And on, this, on his law, he meditates day and night. Delight here is, is not some um, casual delight. It's a delight with, with weight and meaning. He says he delights in the law of the Lord. And the law of the Lord for us is the scriptures, right? They're the, the, God's holy word. But it doesn't stop there. He, when someone delights in the law, delights in the word, that's, it doesn't terminate with the word. It doesn't terminate with the Bible because the Bible is the self-revelation of God to humanity. To show humanity the way back into relationship with him. And it centers on the person and work of Jesus. So when we delight in God's law, we're actually delighting in God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Okay, so when we think of delighting in God's word, it's not just delighting in God's word. Because God's word reveals a person who desires relationship with human beings. And he says on this law or on Jesus, he meditates day and night. This idea of meditation, I'm, we all have kind of heard that. We probably have different things in our mind when we think of meditation. But literally, it just means a low muttering under one's breath. It's like taking something you know, maybe it's a scripture, maybe it's a verse, maybe it's a passage or an idea, and you think about it enough. Maybe you, you say it out loud, you mutter it to yourself until it works its way down deep inside of you, into your heart, into your soul, where it can actually change you. So when we meditate on the Bible, which leads us to, to Jesus and, 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 and the person and work of Jesus, we begin to look more like Jesus. We begin to delight in him more, and we begin to want to spend more time with him. So these are the two ways the psalmist is holding out to us, two ways. Now he's going to illustrate what these two ways look like. Verse 3, he's like a tree. It's like a tree planted by streams of water. Imagine that. What the psalmist wants us to do, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Kids, you think about um, things you plant. Maybe during the quarantine, you've planted flowers, vegetables, fruit, gardening. You've done some of these things. And when you're first planting something, you really spend a lot of time thinking about the soil, the roots, making sure you have the right kind of dirt making sure you have the right kind of uh, sunlight to make those things grow. And so as you think about those things, when, when it's early on, we really spend a lot of time thinking about the roots and, the, and, the, and, and what's underneath. But then you look at some of these trees around town that have been there for hundreds of years, and they're huge trees. We, we tend to forget it's the same stuff that continues those trees, to, to help those trees grow and be healthy. It's the roots. It's the soil. It's what's underneath the ground. What, what we don't see is what helps those trees grow and thrive. And so what this psalmist is saying is we are like a tree. Those who are on the path to, to, to blessing, verse 1 says, that we are like those trees and we're planted by streams of water. So we have a role to play in this. Yes, God gives the growth, but do, are we planting ourselves by, in good soil, by nourishment, by streams of water? Are we planting ourselves by things that will allow God to give growth? Are we creating the environment where God and his spirit can bring growth? The Apostle Paul in Galatians describes the fruit that Christians should produce uh, with a list uh, known as the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the kinds of fruits that Christians should be producing if we are planted by in good soil, and by streams of water. And that is connected, remember, back to delighting in the scriptures. Delighting in Jesus is the soil, is the way that God will bring growth. Now, here's the other way, back to the comparison, the, the way that we shouldn't go, the psalmist is saying, 
Verse 4, the wicked are not so. Here's this imagery, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So when people are, 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 taking, are um, um, growing wheat, and it's called the winnowing process, you have kernel and you have, and it's covered by a husk. And after they harvest, they'll throw or they'll have an instrument that shakes the kernels, and they shake them up to remove all the husks. And the husk will, um, will, and it's also called chaff, will be driven away by the wind. It's light. It's meaningless. It will float away, and you'll be left with the kernel, which is what the farmers want. And so in this imager, we should think of that, that road, that way of living, that approach to life being like chaff, weightlessness. There's no weight there. Maybe purposelessness. Here today, gone tomorrow, right? This is the kind of things that this image should produce in us. So walking with the wicked, standing with sinners, sitting in scoffers is like a lifetime that produces chaff. Now, I think in those four verses, what the psalmist is doing, he's holding up a mirror to us right now. He's holding up a mirror, and he wants us to ask ourselves, what kind of fruit are we producing? What kind of fruit are we producing as followers of Jesus? Would people uh, characterize you as a joyful person, as a peaceful person? Again, fruit of the Spirit, right? Do you see the fruits of the Spirit in your life, the rest of them? Are you encouraging those around you? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you loving your enemy? Are you leaving a legacy that will outlive you? All of these are fruits of the Christian, of the Christian life. And if you're not experiencing these things, I just pray that you would ask the Spirit to give you a delight for the gospel, for Jesus, for his word, which will then lead to those fruits being produced. It will, it will move you and push you towards God's word. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. This is where it all ends. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this judgment here that he's referring to is the judgment when God takes all those who are righteous in his sight and brings them into his presence in a, in a in the place the Bible calls heaven. And he takes those who aren't righteous, who didn't love him, who didn't believe in Jesus, who didn't delight in him, who don't follow him, and allows them to continue to do those things on the way to a place the Bible calls hell. And we know from countless other places in Scripture that we aren't saved by producing fruit. We aren't saved by meditating and delighting on God's Word. We, we, we need to hear that. We need to hear that. that we're, we're, remember, we're all in that category of being rebellious and sinful. So then what is this righteousness that this speaks of? Because right? it's saying the righteous will stand in this judgment and will go to heaven. If it was up to us, we would all fail. And what God is asking us to do here is walk the path of obedience, but obedience that is rooted in faith. We have faith that Jesus was the perfect display of this psalm. When, when, when he would read this psalm, he would obey it perfectly. And we have faith that he, he did that and then allow that faith to move us towards obedience and walking the path that this psalm lays out. But this obedience is always rooted in in faith. We don't obey to earn. We don't obey to be saved. We don't have to check our fruits to, 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 to see if we're saved or not. Obedience comes out of a person who has faith. Now, those fruits become evidence that we're saved or evidence and in, in, in checking ourselves and seeing if we're growing, but we are saved by grace through faith. So if, if, no, if no human being is saved uh, by themselves, what is, what is the righteousness that this is speaking of? This is speaking of what theologians call imputed 
righteousness, something that is given to us from the outside of ourselves. Listen to Philippians 3, 9. Um, And be found in him, not having Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own, Paul says, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So when God changes a person and they put their faith and trust in the personal work of Jesus, their sins are forgiven and you receive a new righteousness, an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes outside of ourselves. And that righteousness comes from Jesus. The person of work in Jesus, in that work he did, we are given the righteousness of Christ. He takes his sin upon, our sin upon himself and God pours out his wrath on Jesus at the cross and our sin with Jesus. And we get the righteousness of God, his righteousness, not our righteousness, because if it was up to our righteousness, then that righteousness would ebb and flow. Some days it would be really low, some days it would be high, and that wouldn't save me. That's why it's Jesus' righteousness that saves us and keeps us in relationship with God. How crazy is that? Like just, We just got to think about that as much as we can and how scandalous that is. The wicked, the rebellious, the sinful are given the righteousness of Christ. So when we stand before God, he sees Christ's righteousness and not our righteousness. So it's not up to us to work our way into our, an identity or perform our way into an identity. We are given an identity when Jesus died and rose again on our behalf. This is such good news. And if we live with this imputed righteousness in mind, it takes the pressure off. We don't have to work our way into an identity. We recognize our identity, and then we live out of that identity. And we begin to delight in his word and delight in the person and work of Jesus. So that news, that gospel news, does that produce freedom? I think it does. If you meditate on that, if you think about the righteousness that you received that you didn't do anything for, you were living opposite of righteousness. I was living opposite of righteousness, and yet we were given the righteousness of God. Of Christ. This is mind blowing. Does it produce freedom? Does it produce joy? Does it produce delight? If it doesn't, I encourage you to to dwell on that. Think about that. Meditate on the gospel and allow it to move you towards a stronger relationship with God and to the scriptures. We're about to enter into a time of communion and we'll be able to do some of that in the time we give you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for. Um, this psalm, I thank you in this book of Psalms, we see behind the curtain in the people of God's prayer life that we see here in Psalm 1 that um, even at the beginning of this book, um, you give us two paths. You give us, you give us direction. And that in and of itself is grace. You show us the way that leads to freedom and to joy, and to contentment. So I pray we all need help. We are all distracted. We all chase other masters. And we need your help, Spirit, to help us keep our eyes on Jesus. I pray your Spirit would work in us as individuals and work in us as a church. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.